Good morning. If you have your Bibles, take them uh, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. In the daily Bible reading today, uh, if you're following along with us, today would be Ephesians chapter 3. And this really worked out well because in Ephesians chapter 3, which is pretty much the middle of the book, there is one of the most encouraging teachings, one of the most helpful doctrines of the entire Bible for the people of God that is found in chapter 3 and that Paul, from chapter 1 to chapter 6, explains to us. And so I wanted to look at this teaching. I wanted to look at this truth this doctrine with you this morning. But before we look at the rest of the book, we have to find out what's going on in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. And if you were to read through, maybe you already did, or maybe you haven't yet, or you plan to, but if you go through the chapter, you'll notice that there's this word mystery that appears three times in this chapter. In verse 3, it says the mystery. In verse 4, it says the mystery of Christ. And in verse 8, or verse 9, excuse me, it says the fellowship of the mystery. Three times Paul references a mystery in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And six times he references mystery throughout the entire book. Back in chapter 1, and then later in chapter 5, and in chapter 6 again. What is the mystery that Paul is talking about? He's not talking about something that is unclear to him. He's not talking about a riddle. He's not talking about a conundrum or a question that he can't answer. He's actually talking about something that he knows very well, and what he wants to do is make clear something that the people of God had been a little fuzzy on in the past. The mystery that he's talking about is the plan of salvation for the people of God. And that plan of salvation is revealed and accomplished through Jesus Christ for any who would believe. I get that from chapter, or verse 3. If you look at this, he says, How by that revelation God made known to me the mystery. And later in chapter 4 he says, The mystery of Christ. He's talking about something about Jesus that people were unclear about. People weren't sure about before, but since the coming of Jesus and the sending out of the apostles, the world now knows the mystery of the plan for salvation. And the key to understanding this mystery that Paul talks about in the whole book of Ephesians is the idea, well, I'm sorry, the truth, let me say it that way, the doctrine of the union with Christ. And what I mean by that, and we're going to look, um, not in every detail, you'd have to read the book yourself, which I encourage you to do, but we're going to look and over and over and over again, at least 35 times, Paul says, you need to be found in Christ. He says, in Christ 
35 times in the book of Ephesians. And what he's talking about is this idea that the Christian, the child of God, has to be united with Jesus for anything to be true about salvation and the gospel. And in chapter 3, there's three sections. It says the mystery revealed, it says the purpose of the mystery, and it says the appreciation of the mystery. And we're going to use this as our blueprint to look at the rest of the book and how Paul talks about what it means to be in Christ, what it means for you and me this morning. So that's how we're going to that's how we're going to frame the book of Ephesians this morning through chapter 3. So let's get into the text. In verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3 it says this, for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you how that by revelation God made known to me the mystery as I've already talked about briefly by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other major, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. When Paul's talking about the mystery revealed, what he's setting up is there is a problem that humanity has and there's a solution that God has given for that problem. Look back at chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, here's the problem that all of humanity suffers from and that requires the mystery of Christ to solve. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, and you, now skip that phrase he made alive real quick, we'll come back to that, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were all by nature children of wrath. The problem is sin. Sin has separated humans from relationship with God. God is so holy he can't abide sin in his presence. And when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, they doomed the rest of humanity to live as enemies of God. There's a personal sin and separation we feel, and it's also a universal separation that the entire race of man experiences with the Lord. And so there's a problem, a big problem, but God chose to solve the problem. Look at, uh, and we just read it in chapter 3 of Ephesians. The mystery, the mystery of Christ is the solution to the problem. Jesus came so that in verse 6, we could become partakers of God's promise. And that's only possible in Jesus Christ. And how does that accomplish? The verse says, through the gospel. When you realize the depths of your sin, when you realize that you are 
in need of a supernatural savior and you look to Christ for your only hope, then you have become a partaker of the promise through the gospel, and that's only found in Jesus. Union with Christ is the solution. And union with Christ means we are brought to God. Sin means we were separated away from God. We weren't close to him. He was far from us. And we had no hope of ever getting back to him without Jesus. Go back to ver- uh, chapter 2 again and look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, who are called uncircumcision, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, you Gentiles that are at, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, now having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Christ Jesus being united with him is what brings us close to God and into relationship with him. So that's the first part of chapter three, that there's a problem and there's a solution and the mystery of Christ or the gospel of Jesus or the work of Christ on the cross and in the resurrection needs to be made crystal clear to each and every one of us so we can be brought close to God. That's the first step. That's foundational. And then in the next two sections, Paul talks about what it means for sinners to be brought into union with Christ. And then in the last section, he talks about if you are found in Christ, if you have been united with him, he shares with us some truths about you. So I want to look at that for the rest of our time together. But the second section starts in verse 8 of chapter 3 in Ephesians, and the heading is the purpose of the mystery. Why is it needed? What does it mean now for sinners to be united with Christ? To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Jesus. And here it is, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. The purpose of the mystery or the reason for the gospel or what it means, the result of the gospel, I should say, is that Christians are united in fellowship. I'm sorry, sinners are united in fellowship with Christ and go from sinners to saints. Fellowship with Christ in a deeply intimate and personal way, which according to the rest of the book of Ephesians is full of heavenly benefits. I'm just going to read through a couple of these. You don't have to follow me. I'm going to be skipping around a little bit. But I also just want to give you a disclaimer that um, each of these things that I'm about to read, each of these benefits that you receive when you put your faith in Christ and you are united to Jesus, each of these things, each of these benefits, when, if you read through them in Ephesians, it says, here's your benefit, 
and it's in Christ. That were, that, that, those two words, in Christ, follow every single one of these benefits in each sentence that Paul's write, Paul writes. I just want you to know that. We don't have time. If we tried to read it all, it would take the whole rest of the day. But I just want to give you some of the benefits. In chapter 1, verse 4, here's a benefit for being united in Christ when you believed in the gospel. He chose us in him. You are chosen by God in Christ. In verse 6, it says you are accepted by God in Christ. In chapter 1, verses 7, and in verses 13, it says you are redeemed and you are saved to God in Christ. In verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1, it says if you are found in Christ, you are legally given an inheritance and a reward. The inheritance and reward that God the Father, the King of all, the creator of the universe, all of his things, his inheritance that he would give to his kids, you are given them. You are legally bound to his inheritance and his reward. In verses 13 and 17 of chapter 1, it says that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and you are given the Holy Spirit. So the disciples were worried when Jesus told them, I'm going to be leaving soon. And they said, Lord, where are you going? We want to go too. And he says, don't worry, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send someone else back so that you're never alone. You're never far from the presence of God. God will be with you. I will be with you. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And when you are united with Christ, when you first believe the gospel, you are given the Holy Spirit and you are sealed by that sign. And if you know how seals work, uh, when the king would make a proclamation or a letter would go out, he would uh, fold it up and put it in the envelope, right? And then he would, they would put wax on the envelope to, to seal it, but then he would also put his mark on the seal in the wax so that when you, someone else, received that letter or that proclamation or that message, you knew for a fact who was writing to you, who was talking to you. And the Holy Spirit is the sign for the children of God that we belong to God. And it's only possible in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 15, Paul tells us that if you are found in Christ, the moment you put your faith in him, the moment you are saved, the moment you go from a sinner to a saint, from a sinner to a child of God, you are freed from the condemnation of the law. That's the law of God that he wrote in the Old Testament that he gave to his people, that he said, live by this law. And if you follow this law perfectly, welcome. You can be in fellowship with me. But we know the condemnation of the law is that it was so holy and so perfect that we could never live up to it because of our sin problem. And so the law goes from being this wonderful thing that God wrote to a terrible as Paul calls it in another book, schoolmaster or slave master, a terrible authority that condemns you for everything you can't do and leaves you with no hope. But if you're found in Christ, there is no condemnation from the law because he fulfilled that law on your behalf. So then you go from being condemned by the law 
to being redeemed and saved in Jesus. And the law isn't something you have to fear anymore. Now you can serve the Lord by obeying his law in full confidence that Christ stands in your place. So these are some of the benefits that happen when sinners believe in the gospel and when they are united to Christ for the first time. Sinners, once united with Christ, are elevated to children of the Most High. And given, this is interesting, because it keeps going, given the same gifts that Jesus enjoyed. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, so even when we were separated from God because of our sins, when we were united with Christ, then he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is referencing the resurrection. Remember what happened to Jesus? It was kind of a big deal. He died. But he didn't stay dead because the power of God raised Christ again three days later. This is talking about resurrection power that you receive the moment you put your trust in Christ. The moment you're united with Christ, your soul is revived and the breath of God is breathed back into your spirit and now you're alive with Jesus. So back in chapter three, in the last section, the appreciation of the, of the mystery. See, we had to talk about the problem first, that we're separated from God. Then we had to talk about the solution because God makes a way for sinners to become children. And then we had to talk about, it, it's all building on each other. Then we had to talk about what happens, what's different about you, and what's true about you the moment you are first united to Christ. And if you're here this morning or you're listening this morning, you're tuning in online with us, and you have never been united with Christ you can right now. It's a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that you're a sinner. Believe that the only hope is salvation through Jesus. Trust what he did on the cross and that he rose again the third day. And you can be instantly united with Christ. And you enjoy the benefits we just talked about. But maybe you're here and you said, well, I am already united with Christ. I am found in Christ. I've already believed. Paul goes on and says, there is more for you as well. So I looked up the word appreciation, the heading, appreciation of the mystery. And another word for appreciation is understanding. So I put the mystery understood. This is what it means now once I'm found in Christ and I'm trying to live my life going forward in fellowship and unity with Jesus. What does it mean to be united with Christ as a child of God? If you look at chapter 4, if you look at verse 15, Paul gives us an idea of what we are supposed to do as Christians being united in Christ. Verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. What Paul is saying is basically we are to continually learn how to look, talk, think, 
and act like Jesus in all things. We are to mature into Christ-like children of God. We are to reflect Jesus more and more clearly each day. That's a tall order. But Paul says, let me tell you what God has done for you. If you're united with Christ, if you're found in Jesus, if you have fellowship with him, and you look at that, that, that command that I have to be more like Jesus, and you are worried, how can I do that? Paul says, I want to tell you what's true about you if you're united in Christ. Here's how it's possible to become more like Jesus. If you remember these things and if you believe these things. Back in chapter 2, in verse 10 and verse 15, Paul says, you are a new creation. And remember, everything I'm going to list here, the statement always says at the end, in Christ, or by Christ, or in God, or in his spirit. You are a new creation. You've been made new. The things that were true about you before you knew Jesus are no longer true about you. A sinner condemned, evil, bitter, whatever it might be. In Jesus, you are made new. You are a new artwork created by God for new and better things. Also in chapter 2, in verse 18, and later in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, you have total access to God. If you want to know what it means or how to be more like Jesus, then you're going to need access to the throne room of God so you can be right there at the source. And because you are united in Christ, you are welcomed into the throne room of God at any moment. That would have been so astounding for Jewish people to hear because they lived their lives in, in so many ways separated from God. There was people they had to go to to get close to God. There was rooms in the temple they could never hope to access because that's where God lived. There was always separation between people and intimacy with the Lord. But Jesus came, and like we sang, he tore that veil, and he's made it possible now for us to have complete and total access to God whenever. In chapter 2, also, um, verses 4 through 6, it says this. We read we read the first part, but I want to read it again to you because there's more. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. There's the resurrection power. Raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now think about that for a second. Jesus rose again on the third day, right? And then he spent that day revealing himself to his people. And then he spent 40 days teaching his people and his disciples and getting them ready to go and share the gospel again. And then at the end of that, they all go out together and Jesus ascends into heaven. He is taken up into heaven in front of them. That's what Paul's talking about here. Raised us up together. And when Jesus rose into heaven after he was done here on earth, where did he go? Do you remember? It says he went to heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. God is on the throne and Jesus is seated at his right hand. The right hand in the throne room would be the highest place of honor you could ever find. If you walked into a palace and the king said, please sit here at my right hand, everybody would know 
that you are the most favored by the king. And Jesus, God's son, seats, sits at the right hand of the father. And Paul says, if you're found in Christ, you sit there too. If you're found in Christ, if you're united with Jesus, if you have fellowship with him, you sit in the same place that Jesus sits. And remember, it's only possible if you are found in Christ. In verse 7 of chapter 2, Paul lets us know that instead of being objects of wrath like we were before being united in Christ, we are now objects of God's grace and kindness. And I can't think of anybody who would have more grace or more kindness than God. You could try. I couldn't come up with anybody. And I know lots of gracious and kind people who have shown me grace and kindness. But I can't think of anyone who could show that better than God. In fact, I know no one could because only God sent his son to save a sinner like me. And that's what we are. That's what you are if you're found in Christ. You're an object of that. God wants to show you his kindness and his grace. Can you imagine that? Uh, keeping in chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, Paul says, you are a building block in the house of God. A building block in his kingdom. It says that the foundation of the church, the foundation of the people of God, he, he he references architecture and he says the foundation, the most important part of the foundation, the chief cornerstone, that thing that has to be perfectly set first is Jesus. And then he says the apostles and, and, and those who Jesus sent out to spread the gospel, that's the rest of the foundation, like Paul. And then when you build up, you have to have more blocks and more brick and they all depend on the foundation being set perfectly, but every block that comes after, every brick that comes after is just as important. They're not less important than what came before. And so you are important to the building of the house of God. You're a building block that God has chosen to make up the structure of his kingdom. Those are just some of the things, and if you read through the entire book, you would find more truths about you if you are united in Christ. And so, because of those few things that we read, here's what you should consider when you are trying to be more like Christ, when you're trying to grow up in all things like Jesus, when you're trying to be mature Christians reflecting the beauty of Christ. Then he gives us some practical things to do. In verse uh, 32 of chapter 4, he says, forgive as you were forgiven. Forgive as you were forgiven. If you want to look like Christ because you've been united with him and you are so humbled and grateful and thankful for God uniting you with Jesus, if you want to look more like him, then what needs to be true about you is that you forgive like Christ you were forgiven. And if we think about what that means, I mean, it, the implication is obvious. 
What that means is you are to forgive like God forgave you. And if we really think about it, we talk about it all the time, which is good. But do we really stop and think for a moment what that truly means and what that would truly look like in our own life? If we're going to forgive like God forgave, we have to be willing for the people we love that even when they spit in our face and drag our name through the mud and try to turn away and and discredit us, that we would still forgive them. Not that we would say, oh, that's okay. But that we would show them the love that God showed us. I mean, even though I spit in the face of God as a sinner, Jesus still came and sacrificed his life for me, suffered for me, so that I could be forgiven and go from being that terrible sinner to a beloved child of God. And Paul says if you want to be like Christ because you're united with him, then you need to forgive in the same way. In chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Give thanks always for all things. We need to be known as people who have a heart and a temperament of gratitude. And not just, thanks for what you gave me. But gratitude that even when things don't seem to be working right, even when things seem to be completely upside down, even when things seem to be going wrong, that we are thankful that we know that God is in control of all things and he has a plan and a purpose in everything we go through, everything he brings our way. And at the end of the day, we should be people, if we're like Jesus, who fall to our knees, even when it's the hardest thing we've ever done, like the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was in so much pain and agony over what he had to do we still cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I want what you want. I think Jesus was showing gratitude to God when he said, not my will, but your will be done. He was so thankful for what he knew about the Lord that he was willing to give up his own will for the will of God. Uh, In in uh, verse 21 of chapter 5, it says, submit to each other, submit to one another, and then Paul lists some practical ways to do that and how that should play out in your home, in your family, and in your relationships. But this idea of submission to each other is a blanket statement at the end of chapter 5. It's a general for all Christians in, situa- in all situations, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Jesus, I, there's just no better example. Jesus is the ultimate picture of submission. He submitted to his father by coming to carry out the plan of redemption. He submitted to Mary and Joseph by growing up in their home. Though he was fully God, along with being fully man, he submitted to his parents as they trained him, and he submitted to the cross, where he, like we talked about back on Good Friday, became sin for you and for me. He submitted to our greatest need. And so Paul says, learn how to submit to one another 
just like Jesus. In chapter 6, verse 10, it says, to be strong, to stand, to, so make the strength of your faith and life God's strength. Right? This is right before he talks about the armor of God and how to withstand um, the battle that rages in the life of the Christian, how to withstand that battle. And he says, stand in the strength. And it's the strength of God that he's talking about. The armor that he's talking about is the armor that God actually puts on himself in the Psalms. It talks about the armor of God and it lists several things that are similar to what Paul says here. So we need to learn how to stand in God's strength. And God's strength often, often looks like forgiveness when that seems ridiculous, submission when that seems ridiculous, and thankfulness when that seems ridiculous, as Paul's already stated. And then he ends the book, and, and ends Ephesians, with this final thing to consider, this final thing to do, this final thing to practice in your life, to be more like Christ as you are united in him, in verse 18 of chapter 6. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication. Praying always, being watchful. If you want to be more like Christ, then you must not neglect your connection with God in prayer is an important connector to God. If you're found in Christ, you have access to God all the time, so why wouldn't we take advantage of that in how we talk to God and how often we talk to God about everything? The access that Christ provides, God didn't just set up just in case you wanted to stop by every now and then, just in case you wanted to talk to him when you needed him, but he wants you with him all the time praying always. So, all of this, all we've talked about, the problem to the solution of sin, being united with Christ, and then what it means to live your life being united to Christ is only possible by Jesus, through Jesus, and in Jesus. And those are three ways that Paul describes it throughout of all of Ephesians. And so you can know this, and this is also really important to know. As long as Christ endures, the promises and benefits promised to you in the book of Ephesians will also endure. So far, Christ has endured. So far, he's never stopped being him, and his work has never stopped bringing you closer to the Lord. And I don't believe it ever will. So I want to go back to chapter 3. And I just want to end with the last couple of verses from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Sounds redundant, but he means more than you could possibly imagine and then more than that. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, if you're united in Christ, if you're united to Christ, that power is Jesus. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. 
Amen.